You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I want us to take a good hard look at what our Lord and Savior, what He endured for us, what He went through for our sake. And so if you will stand with me right now as we stand upon the solid rock, which is God's Word, we find ourselves in Matthew 27 and verse 27. We're just going to read down to verse 31. And the title of this paragraph, the heading says that all Jesus is mocked. Notice this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put him in his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will speak to our hearts this morning. I think about all that we have gone through in our lives as Sue was sharing her testimony and the many difficulties that she has had to overcome. And I think about this room, Lord, and how many of us in this room have gone through difficult times and have stories of perilous uh, journeys that we've gone on in life. And yet, God, your love surrounds us. Your love is real. Your love will not forsake us. And I pray today, God, that that love that we will see in this passage today, that, that love, God, that is powerful enough to save every one of us, Lord, that we will not take it for granted one day longer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today, I'm going to ask you to have your, your mind's eye uh, in good focus. I want you to imagine with me the story as it is set before us. One of the things that we need to do before we talk about this text, though, is to just try to get into the feelings of our Lord and Savior, what he was going through. I want you to see him there on the Mount of Olives, there on his knees praying hours before what we have been talking about last week and this week. We see him there pleading with the Heavenly Father and saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The scriptures tell us in the Gospel of Luke that an angel of the Lord was there ministering to him as he said this. But even the presence of an angel was not enough to assuage his concerns. The agony was so great, we are told that the sweat, the tears were of blood. He was heavy laden. He was burdened down with the task that was before him. I believe love to be the most powerful force in this world. I hope you believe that too. I believe that love can push us through the darkest days, the hardest challenges, and the fiercest pain. I want you to know that whatever you're going through, the only way through is with love. And I know that Jesus was able to push through all the way to the cross because he had a perfect love. When I think about Jesus and all that he did for us, the only way that he was able to make it through, not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain, was because of his love for us. As I was studying this passage, it occurred to me 
that there is much said about the clothes of Jesus. If you take a look at this passage, it mentions quite a bit uh, concerning what he was wearing. Now, I find that odd. I don't know why the scriptures are bringing this uh, to our attention, but I feel like that there's something here we need to see. You've perhaps heard the statement, the clothes make the man. And obviously today, if you look at high fashion, I don't know what that says about us, brothers and sisters. And we can laugh at that, but we know that there is something to that. The clothes make the man. And when we look here in the text, as we go on to the cross, you'll remember that the Roman soldiers actually gamble for his garments. And you think, well, that's kind of odd. Well, it wouldn't have been odd to a first century person because every piece of cloth was very valuable. One thing we need to understand that today the clothes we wear are cheap and cheaply made. But back then, every single garment was very expensive. It was handmade, and that made it valuable. And so the clothes here say much to us. The garments Jesus was wearing, the garments that they put on Jesus are telling us much. In fact, I believe what we're going to see today are the clothes that, that are described to us in this passage help us understand Jesus' love all the more. What he went through in these five verses how he handles this terrible episode in his life will help us understand his love. What Jesus wore on Good Friday tells us much about the man, everything we need to know about his love for sinners, his love for us. So let's take a look. First, I want to show you the sad reality of the king undressed, the king laid bare. Now, the Romans, they were masters of the world. We can't really understand how powerful they were. If you are ever in the city of Rome and you see those great ruins, you realize that these truly were masters of the world in their epoch, in their era. They were masters of architecture, warfare, and torture. And when it came to torture, I have to tell you, the Romans were, uh, were the best at that. They knew how to bring pain to people. And so here in this passage, we know that Jesus is heading to the cross, but I want you to understand that already Jesus has undergone so much psychological and physical pain. In fact, we are told in verse 26 that Jesus had been scourged. And here in Matthew, that's just mentioned quickly, and, and we move on to these verses where Jesus is mocked. But I want you to realize that this scourging was no minor thing. The cat of nine tails was a terrible instrument of torture. In fact, many of the people who would have been whipped by such a device wouldn't even survive that. Our Lord is beaten and bruised all the way to the point of death. And here we see Pilate's soldiers take Jesus to the governor's headquarters following this whipping. And it's important to note, you'll remember that when we read about Pilate, remember how he washed his hands of this whole thing? He said, you know, I'm washing my hands of this, this man, I don't think that he's done anything wrong. But I want you to realize it was his personal battalion that was doing the dirty work. He may have washed his hands of this event, but it was still under his orders. It was soldiers under his orders that were carrying out the flogging and all that is to come. I want you to get in your mind a, a room, a courtyard, probably not as big as the room we're in, but a good-sized space because there would have been around 600 Roman soldiers in the cohort. Now imagine this, 600 men surrounding Jesus all of them angry, filled with hate, 
they strip Jesus bare. They, they take off all of his clothes. And so there is our Lord and Savior in a big open space surrounded by 600 human beings harassing him. This is Jesus. This is the one who has brought a message from God. This is the only begotten of the Father. And yet he is in this situation surrounded by 600 coarse men. The toll of such an experience, not just the physical pain that Jesus is going through, but the psychological pain that he experiences here. I want you to feel it this morning. I want you to feel it because for just a moment, if we can feel that, we'll understand how much he loves us. He was stripped. He was bleeding. He was on the way to a cross. Reflect on this. Reflect on the fact that Jesus, before he even came to the cross was already in great pain and in, in, in experiencing terrible, terrible psychological and spiritual pain. I want you just to imagine these 600 men for a moment. It's hard to put yourself, your mind, in the mind of another. But the Roman soldiers would have been hardened men. These were men who had seen many people beaten, killed, killed in battle, crucified. These were hard men. Seeing Jesus like this would not have bothered them at all. Today, we might say that they were shell-shocked because of all the violence and torture that they had either seen or experienced or been a part of. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's okay that the Roman soldiers were this way, but they were the product of a cruel world. I have to tell you, the more books I read on history, the more stories I hear from our past, we are a broken race. We are a cruel people. Throughout the years, humanity has been so harsh and so hard. But these Roman soldiers, cruel as they were, they were human. And they had been hurt. And now they are hurting others. In this case, Jesus himself. Let me just say this to you. When love is absent, human beings become monsters. I want you to know this, that when love is absent, human beings become monsters. It is important for us to remember, church, that it is our job to take the love of Jesus into the world. This world can never have too much of Jesus's love. We need the gospel stories that are hard like this. We need to understand what Jesus did for us. I want you to know, when you're sharing your faith in Jesus, you're not just sharing a philosophy. You're not just sharing another idea that's out there floating amongst the other ideas. You are sharing the story of God who sent his son to suffer like this. To bring love into your life. Now, we can say that he loves the world, and, and that's a big thing. Billions of people. But I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. And I want you to realize that it doesn't take long for this world to take a man and turn him into a monster. To take a human being and hurt that human being and turn them into something egregious. I believe that these monsters, that these, these men that we read about in this text who are torturing Jesus, they're, they're stripping Jesus of his dignity. When we don't have love, when love is not center in our lives, we do not consider the dignity of others. But I want you to realize, Jesus, when he was praying there 
when he was praying there on the mountain, there in the garden, I want you to know that he knew all of this was coming. It was a choice on Jesus' part to go into this situation and to suffer like this for you. Because here's the deal. When the love of Jesus is present, monsters can be made human again. I want you to realize that our job, our privilege, our joy as Christians is to share the love of Jesus and to help see lives turned around. We want to go wherever there is darkness. We want to go wherever there are hurting people. And let me tell you, when you are helping hurting people, it is messy business. Hurting human beings are dangerous. They hurt others. We cannot forget this. If we are going to make a difference in the world, we cannot play it safe. This is not a patty cake experience. This is not a joke. We have to love people and get ready for the messiness of life. The church today cannot forget that, yes, there are monsters in the world. But these people that are monsters have been made monstrous by sin. And sin can do that to any of us. We are here to mend broken hearts. We are here to take this love of Jesus and turn it into something powerful that we can use in the world for good. We are all sinners. I want you to know this. Every single one of us have the capacity to be a monster like these Roman soldiers. If our lives were different, if we were in separate uh, situations than we are in right now, who knows? I do know this, human beings are capable of some terrible things because sin is real. But I want you to realize that there is a better way. We can all be clothed in righteousness because Jesus allowed himself to be undressed. Notice this in the text, he was undressed. They stripped him, verse 28 tells us, he was stripped of his clothes, but he did that and allowed that to happen because of his love for us. He loves us. He loves us enough that he was willing to be stripped bare for our sakes. The second thing I want you to see in the text is that he was dressed up and put in the clothes of a king. If you look there in verse 28, right after it says they stripped him, it says they put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. Then they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Now, obviously, as I said earlier, uh, clothes make a statement. And this is interesting because in this passage, we see the enemies of God, the enemies of Jesus mocking him. But in a sense, they are actually telling the truth. They are actually pointing out the reality that Jesus is the King. Sometimes even in our sinful ways, we are still showing a truth, and that's what we see here. I think of Jesus' words on the cross that he will utter in just moments from now at, at this scene. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's true on multiple levels. They did not realize that they were crucifying the Son of God. But even in this instance, they didn't realize that they were actually putting the clothes of royalty on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Gospels show us again and again at every stage in the journey to the cross that the Gentiles, the Jews, everyone says and does things that move in the direction of truth. 
They're mocking Jesus. They put the scarlet robe. Most people think that this scarlet robe would have been like the, the, the dress uniform of one of the, the guards, one of the, the officers. It would have looked somewhat royal. I don't know that it would have been royal in the truest sense, but it was made to look that way. And then you see the cruelty kick in. The, the crown of thorns. I'm, I would imagine many of you have seen examples of what those thorns look like in that part of the world. Uh, when I was little and running through the woods, we would have little thorns like that that could grab our clothes and, and be a nuisance. But the thorns that this crown was made of would have been long and sharp and would have caused great pain. They twisted together a crown of thorns and we are told, put it on his head. These soldiers were not playing nice. I doubt they just set it on his head. I would imagine they crunched it into his head. On top of this, we see the mockery, the reed in his right hand to represent the, the staff of a king, a common feature of kingship in that part of the world. I don't know if you know this, but the old, old word in Hebrew for king is a similar word or a derivative of the word shepherd. And so many times when you look at the, the, the staffs of ancient kings, they kind of look like a shepherd's staff. And that's on purpose because they were supposed to be the shepherd of the people. And here we have the good shepherd, the true king holding that staff in his hands. And notice what they say. They say, hail, king of the Jews. They use a word of, of majesty, something that would only be said to a king. The Romans were lawless men. They had no knowledge of the Hebrew law or prophets. And yet, again and again, every act, every word is fulfilling the scriptures. Let me show you this. And this is important. I want you to hear this today. When we are reading the word together, we are not reading uh, 66 separate books. We are really reading a narrative from beginning to end that is cohesive and together. What we read in the Gospels, what happened to Jesus, didn't just happen out of nowhere. In fact, we see dozens, scores, maybe depending on how you count it, hundreds of separate verses in the Old Testament that prepared for just this moment. Jesus' coming was foretold by the prophets. We see it all over the place. Listen to Psalm 22, 6 through 8. Um, it says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. I wanted to read that verse to you because those are the very words we can imagine being on the lips of these 600 Roman soldiers as they put Jesus in the clothes of royalty. He is despised by them. They are mocking him. They are wagging their heads. They are saying things like he trusts in the Lord and look where that has got him. The prophet Isaiah picks up in Isaiah 50, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah said this, The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Here are the words I believe of Jesus. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. There we have David and Isaiah, just two examples from the Old Testament that are pointing to this very moment that we're reading about here in Matthew 27. It was all set up. Jesus, when he was in the garden, when he was there on the Mount of Olives, as he was praying to the Lord, he knew these scriptures. He knew his fate, as it were. 
He knew exactly what was going to happen there at the governor's headquarters. And eventually that would lead to Calvary. The soldiers played a game of dress up. But the clothes of royalty fit the man Jesus perfectly. Never in the history of the world was there a more worthy king. I want you to realize that this passage, though it is ugly, it doesn't take away from Jesus' majesty. In fact, I want to argue this. I think this mocking of Jesus, just seeing what he did for us, it makes his majesty all the more grand. It makes me realize that a true king, a true man of power is not measured by what he can do to others, but what he is willing to endure, what he is willing to take on for others. Jesus is the greatest of all men because he took the sins of the world. He took your sins and my sins, and therefore he is king of kings and lord of lords. Paul would later put it this way, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now keep in mind, let's go back to the scene. Let's have it in our heads. A large open area, 600 men surrounding a bleeding Jesus who at one point was undressed completely. Now he is dressed in the garb of royalty. And in this moment, we see these individuals who are shouting at Jesus and saying words to him that are false. They're acting like he is a king when they don't believe that at all. But I want you to know this. Nothing, no one can change the fact that Jesus is the king. And it really all comes down to sincerity. It all comes down to where your heart is. You see, what these men did 2,000 years ago, they will do again, but they will do it if they didn't come to know Christ in this world. Paul is describing an event where they will stand before the risen Lord and they will worship him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to realize that every single human being that has ever lived, everyone will one day magnify Jesus. But this is where we need to pause for a moment and ask a hard question. Do our lives magnify or mock Jesus? You know, when we read this passage, it's, it, it's clear to see that these men are not believers. These men, for lack of a better way of putting it, seem to hate Jesus. Now, I think about those of us in this room. I don't think I can put any one of you in the category of these Roman soldiers. But let me mention something to you, something that, that the Lord grabbed uh, my attention with just a few days ago, actually. Do you realize if sin has the upper hand in your life, if you are living for yourself, if your sins are out of control, you are mocking Jesus with your life. You can say all day long that you believe in Jesus and you would say he is your king. But if your life, if the lifestyle you are living is more in tune with sin than your savior, I want you to know you're in the camp of the Roman soldiers. You are mocking Jesus with your life. We need to understand that when it comes to Jesus, we are either serving him, we are with him, or we are against him. And in our world today, there are too many people who are willing to say that Jesus is their king, but they live their lives a totally different way. 
That is a form of mocking. When you say that Jesus is your Lord, but you don't live like that, friends, you are with the 600 Roman soldiers. You mock him. Christianity is losing ground in America today because too many Christians are not magnifying Jesus. They're mocking him with their lives. Jesus has the clothes of royalty here. He's being mocked in this instance. But we know if we're followers of Jesus that how this goes, they're mocking. But the truth is they don't realize that they're magnifying. They are magnifying. And one day, all of us will stand before Jesus. I want to ask you right now, is Jesus the King and Lord of your life? Or have you just put him in false clothes? Let's look at the rest of the story here. The end of the story, we see our Jesus, our Savior, dressed down and put back in the clothes of the common man. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. Notice the robe of royalty. They take that off and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. You see, God's plan was to send Jesus in the common clothes of a common man. Many of you are aware of John 1.14, which says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, we're talking about his clothes, his own clothes here. But I want you to realize, in a sense, what we have here is a picture of the human Jesus. We have a picture of a man, a man who was sent from God, but a man who determined to stay in the will of God no matter what came his way. The Gospels hint at this. So does the Old Testament, that Jesus didn't look better than everybody else. Those of you who know your Bibles well, you'll remember something about Saul. Like, just think about Saul for a moment. What, what made him stand out was not that he was the smartest guy in the room, not that he was the best leader, but because he was taller and han more handsome than the rest of the people. So everybody looked at Saul and said, wow, what a great leader. He looked the part. But here's something I want you to know. Jesus, physically, I don't think ever looked the part. I don't think that he would have been taller than everybody else. I don't think he would have been handsome. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see, when he was in his own clothes, when they took off the false robes of royalty, he looked like everybody else. He looked just like so many of the Jewish people who had been torn to shreds by the Romans. And yet we know that this man was not a common man. His actions and his words are always uncommon. His words are pure and true. His acts of humility and grace were unprecedented. When we look to Jesus, we see a man living as God would have him live. When we hear Jesus speak, he's always speaking as a man speaking for God. Jesus may have worn the clothes of a common man, but he was different from you and me in one important way. He was sinless. I want you to realize that I am not telling you a story about a noble martyr. I'm not telling you the story about a hero from the past. I'm telling you the story of God sending his only begotten son to die for our sins. 
He was one of us, but sinless. And because of his sinlessness, he makes it possible for those of us who have mocked Jesus, those of us who have taken him for granted, no matter what monstrous things we may have done, there is forgiveness in Jesus' name. He wore the clothes of a common man. He wore the clothes not of royalty. He chose not to be the big shot. He chose to come and be humble and to serve us. What a beautiful Savior we have. Today we leave off in the text with Jesus walking in his own clothes with a cross on his shoulder, tattered and bleeding and walking to Calvary. What's the next step of the journey for you, for me? Let us remember this. Jesus was undressed and shamefully treated. We see that in the first few verses. No matter what you've been through in this world, listen to me. No matter what you've been through, no matter what pain and suffering. We live in a world right now where everybody's trying to find their angle, uh, their, their, uh, uh, their grievance in life, where they've been hurt, where they have been victimized. I get it. But I want you to know, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you've been hurt. I want you to know, Jesus understands injustice. When I say come to Jesus, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading you to come to someone who not only loves you, but he understands what it's like to be in this world and to be treated in an inhumane, unjust way. I want you to realize that Jesus was dressed up and mocked as a false king. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Are my sins mocking Jesus? Because for many of us, we are saying that we are Christ followers, but it looks like we're living our lives like everyone else. Jesus was dressed down and made powerless by the ruling authorities. But it's this humiliation that makes possible your salvation. Why would Jesus be undressed, dressed up, and dressed down? Well, because he loves you. He loves you. You know, I had a week off and I thought a lot about preaching and what I do. Too much of the preaching from pulpits today, we, we, we try to make, we preachers try to make people feel good and and I want to, I, I want to be the guy who encourages you. There will be times when we can. But how can we look at this passage with Jesus suffering, bleeding, and dying and just take it lightly? We can't. This is serious. It's all here. He did this for us because he loves us. It's interesting. If you go back to Matthew 5, Jesus keeps his own word. He does not retaliate when he was struck. Matthew 5.39, he uh, gives to wicked men both his inner and outer garments, Matthew 5.40. I mean, Jesus kept the word, not just the Old Testament word, but he even kept his own words earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus was sinless. He was pure. He was perfect. There's an old phrase, and best I can tell, it dates back to about uh, the 1500s, the 16th century. So, you know, right in my sweet spot, you know. I'm, I'm medieval. Uh, that's not a good thing necessarily, but <laughs> there's a phrase. It's called the warp and woof. You ever heard that phrase? You may not have heard of it because, again, how many people sew anymore? How many people are involved in the manufacture of garments? But in the old days, you've probably seen those looms where, where the, like, I guess at a museum maybe, you know? 
And so if you think about the warp and the woof, what it is, the warp is the cloth, the strings that go this direction. And they're always tight and taut. The woof goes this direction, side to side. And in a garment, it's the one that goes up and over, up and over, up and over. When I think about this passage, when I think about his own clothes, Jesus' own clothes, it's a reminder to me that Jesus is a connection. On the loom, that one up and down one is taunt, it's tight, it's connected from here to here. Just like Jesus' love comes from heaven to earth. But it's the, wo the woof, W-O-O-F. It's that that I want you to think about for a moment. Jesus was willing to weave in with us, to take part in the pleasures and pain of this world. To make a cloth, you have to have the vertical and the horizontal. In fact, the love from God the Father, the love woven in, all of a sudden we have what looks like a cross. You see, the clothes do make the man. What we've learned in these five verses about what Jesus was wearing, how his clothes were taken off of him, how he was mocked with the clothes of kingship, all those things really are pointing to this one fact. You are in desperate need of God's love this morning. The love that can only be from heaven is here in this world. And Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, wants to weave into your life his love. I pray that the fabric of your life will never be the same again after today. That you will never take for granted this Jesus. Many of you in this room, you are already professing Christians. Please, let us never mock Jesus again. But if you've not followed Jesus, I want you to know the pain in your life, the issues of your soul, can only find their solution in the love of Jesus. And there's only one thing left to do, and that's surrender your heart and your life to him. When we come to the end of a sermon, that's what we're offering to you. It's just an opportunity to get things right. Let's get things right with Jesus. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.